Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read just one verse, verse 3, and we're going to focus on two words in verse 3. But I'm going to read for you God's word, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're at your mercy to understand what you say here, that something is to our credit and lodged on our behalf in a sphere, dimension, region called the heavenly places. You're going to tell us later that unless we have spiritual eyes to see, we're not going to see what you tell us here. And so we pause and ask now, open the eyes of our hearts, give us this enlightenment, this knowledge, this revelation, so that we can see and look upon and celebrate what you have for us here today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we, uh, as we think about the role of prophecy in the church today, we've heard it said before that the role as it stands for us and for us as believers is not so much foretelling, but forthtelling. Maybe you've heard that being distinguished before. The role of prophecy that we often hear today is not so much foretelling. It's not so much telling the future as it's going to be, as it is forthtelling. It's unmasking, it's revealing the present as it really is. Now here's a great example of forth-telling prophecy that unmasks the world as it really is. It's from one of my professors at Westminster, Carl Truman, when he wrote about the Oscars back in March. This is a great example of this kind of prophecy. It's long, it's three paragraphs, but I think it's really good. I apologize in advance for anybody who loves the Oscars. He says, I make a point of never watching the Oscars. If I want to waste four hours of my life being alternatively patronized and reminded of what an abject failure I am, according to the criteria of contemporary society holds dear, I can always read the New Yorker. But I am sufficiently aware of what goes on the Oscars to venture a few predictions. We will once again witness the triumph of aesthetics over ethics or rather, that identification of aesthetics with ethics that is now the default position of Western society. Think about it. The red carpet will provide us with a parade of beautiful people. That's one way of looking at it. Here's another. It will provide us with an endless stream of people who have cheated on spouses, betrayed friends, broken marriage vows, wrecked homes, had abortions. Those who have been exposed to sexual abusers may be in less evidence this year, but other than that, the usual carnival of corruption will be on full display and it will all be attractive because it is physically beautiful. Wow. Will you ever watch the Oscars the same way again? You take away the glitter and the glamour and this is what you have. 
What a great example of a prophetic word yanking off the mask of something and showing it for what it really is. If the Oscars appear to us as beautiful and untainted, we need to get our vision checked as to what we're really seeing. Well, Paul does a similar thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He delivers to us a prophetic word, and it's not just an unmasking for judgment's sake, it's also an unmasking for celebration's sake. In fact, he says in verses 17 and 18 that God needs to open our eyes. He needs to give us power and enlightenment so that we can do this practice. We can unmask the world and see it As God sees it. Part and parcel of seeing the world as God sees the world is to make us aware, verse 3, of the wealth of spiritual blessings we have from God in what he says at the end of the verse, the heavenly places. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now that's odd. Why does he specify that our blessings are in the heavenly places? What's wrong with having spiritual blessings that are in earthly places? And why does Paul actually use this phrase, in the heavenly places, five times in this letter to Ephesians alone, which all begs the questions, what and where are these heavenly places? Well, I'm so glad you asked those half dozen questions because we're going to try to answer them. Asking what and where are the heavenly places in the Bible is a bit of a trick question because the word heaven is used differently in different places. So we know that oftentimes the Bible uses the word heaven to simply mean the sky, or the universe, or outer space. So like in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the sun and the stars in heaven, meaning he creates them in outer space. But at other times, the Bible uses the word heaven to refer to the perfect dwelling place of God. So in Ephesians 6.19, when Paul warns the employee and the employer that they serve the same master who is God in heaven, this refers to the perfect dwelling place of God. So you take those two very different definitions and you have them in the back of your mind when you read Ephesians 1.3 and you would naturally assume that Paul is talking about the latter. Right When he says spiritual blessings in heavenly places, he doesn't mean, number one, you have spiritual blessings in outer space. Of course not. Probably he means, number two, you have spiritual blessings in heaven in the perfect dwelling place of God. That's what I read the passage, and I assumed that that's what it meant. But if you read on in Ephesians, you realize that these heavenly places are not as Rocky Balboa put it in Rocky 6, all sunshine and rainbows. Flip with me to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. This is a very familiar passage, at least on the front end, but I wonder if you ever caught the back end of this verse. Ephesians 6 12, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly places. So the heavenly places are not the sky. They're not the perfect dwelling place of God. There are monsters in the heavenly places. Well, that's not all that's there. We learn about a few other things that are present in the heavenly spaces. Chapter 1, verse 20. Christ was raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places. So now we know that God and Jesus are also present in the heavenly places. But there's more. Chapter 2, verse 6, at our conversion, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if you and I are born again, if we've repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus, then God now says that you too are also in the heavenly places. And since most scholars interpret chapter 1 verse 3, the spiritual blessings as capital S spirit, as in the Holy Spirit's blessings to us, then he's there as well. So all of a sudden, the heavenly places becomes in Ephesians this bizarre gathering of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, us who are born again, our spiritual blessings, and dark spiritual forces that want to dismember us. All of us are present there. You thought your family gatherings were awkward. Imagine the heavenly places where all of these forces are at work. Now, I took all these verses into account as I studied and I prayed and I labored over this phrase. And this is the best definition I can come up with for heavenly places in the book of Ephesians. They are the theater of divine power and wisdom. Heavenly places are the theater of divine power and wisdom. I get that from all the verses we just read, especially if you read later this afternoon, the end of chapter 1, where we hear about Christ who's exalted in power over all of these forces that exist in the heavenly places. But I also get this from one more passage we hadn't read yet, and that's chapter 3, verse 10, which says, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities In the heavenly places. So the heavenly places becomes the place that God shows off his divine power and wisdom. What God does in and through the church, he does on full display and to the chagrin and great alarm of dark powers that even now dwell In heavenly places. Heavenly places refers to the theater of divine power and wisdom. And if you're there, and if you see it, it is glorious. The very power and wisdom of God on full display, the heavenly places are glorious. Now, 
don't think of the heavenly places as some place to go and visit. It's not some place out there that you can get in your car or get in your rocket ship and travel to. Because the way they're being described, they're actually a dimension that is overlaid with our dimension. So the heavenly places are actually in our midst right now because we exist in these dual realities. When we say heavenly places, we don't mean something that's immaterial. We don't mean something that doesn't relate to our daily physical life because we live in both dimensions. We are here on earth. And we are also seated with Christ in the heavenly places at the exact same time we have this dual reality. Who we are in heavenly places has everything to do with how we live in earthly spaces. Who we are in heaven has everything to do with how we live our life here on earth. You get a parallel idea of this in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians and Ephesians are both written by Paul, both very, very similar books that share a lot of thoughts. And in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, we hear, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. Okay, so I want to apply this passage. What does it mean to be a faithful Christian who's got his mind and her mind on on things above, on things in heaven, and not on the things of earth? How can I do that well? And you read on in Colossians 3 that a heavenly-minded Christian is actually doing a lot of earthly good. His examples are stuff like show kindness and patience with people here on earth. That's a, a man or a woman with a mind saturated with heaven. They, they pursue people here on earth. They work for harmony in relationships. They do everything with thanksgiving. So, so being raised with Christ and having our minds set on heavenly things means good, beautiful, lasting work on earth. These dimensions are overlaid with each other. According to Colossians, being raised with Christ into heaven means getting busy on earth. We live in both realms. We live in them simultaneously. And where we stand in the one informs how we live in the other. As you take all that in, are your minds hurting right now? As you think about these twin realities, do you get a brain freeze when you think of your life being played out on dual stages, the stage of earth and the stage in heaven and how those things intermingle and how the one informs the other? I mean, does that just make your brain want to explode taking all of that in? If so, praise God. Praise God for that. Praise God for the gift of headaches. I say that because Paul says you cannot do this on your own. 
You do not have the power. You do not have the resources. You do not have the wherewithal. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the wisdom to live in this dual reality unless God condescends, verses 17 and 18, and gives you the gift of wisdom and revelation and enlightenment and knowledge so that you can see creation as it really is. If our heads are not hurting when we approach this, if we think we can just reach out and grab the dual reality of heaven and earth, we may not be depending on God for the vision he wants to give to us. If we rolled out of bed this morning and we assumed that our eyes are going to tell us all we need to know about creation, we're in trouble. This only comes through God's divine revelation. If we miss that, we miss the prophetic vision of Ephesians 1 verse 3. Here is that vision. Here is what is on full display for those who have eyes to see it. Christian, our eyes have grown dim in earthly places. We too often see the world as the world sees the world. Christian, you and I thought that our lives were small. We thought that our lives played out on the carnal and the terminal stage of this world. We thought that our dead-end nine-to-five jobs our endless diaper changes, our unspectacular weekend plans, our unrequited loves, our short-changed dreams was the paltry sum of a life we offered to the altar of Instagram to be liked by a listless crowd of peers. And we thought then that God would begin to fill in the cracks of these meager years on earth and to seek to bring meaning to them. And what is more, we thought that our Christian lives were so often the sum of the gifts that we are able to offer to God in the currency of pious living and Bible reading and church attending. And we think that the best that can be said of our faith is what we do for God and what we are capable of. Christian, if God allows it, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Let God, by his spirit, open your eyes. Our eyes have been born again to brighter things. Though the prince of the power of the air, who is attended by legions of spiritual forces that mean our ill, appear to swagger through this earth and through this church and through our homes and our families. The true story is unfolding before us in heavenly places. 
Christ has been risen from the dead into these heavenly places and is seated with his finished work. And as he breaks the stranglehold of Satan on our lives and we are opened to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus alone, we too are raised with Christ into these heavenly places. And when we get there, We're not in the nosebleed, standalone section of the heavenly places right inside the door trying to see what's happening further on. Ephesians chapter 1 says we are immediately ushered into the place of honor directly below Christ himself and seated with him. And in this place of prominence, he lavishes us with good And wholesome gifts. The greatest things that can be said about us. Are these God born. Son bought. Spirit filled blessings. Holiness. Blamelessness. Redemption. Adoption. Riches of grace. It is the very gift of the gospel that is ours in Christ Jesus. Far from small, the life of every believer reflects the radiant glory of God into the darkness itself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray together. Father, let us live in this dual reality. Open our eyes that the world as it is and our lives as they appear are not the only thing that transpires in the universe that you have created. Because even now we play out in heavenly places the grand drama of the doctrine of your holy grace. And that is, we are raised to your right hand with every spiritual blessing. And we display the wisdom and the power of God before a watching world, human and spiritual. Let us live in that power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.